Hey, so if you're listening to this, or you're not listening yet, but if you're listening to me talking, you're about to hear a lecture from Psychology, also Biology, 2606, Introduction to Behavioral Neuroscience for the fall term of 2023. How in the hell is it 2023? That means I'm 58 years old, and I imagine that makes me old. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this, but, uh, you know, if you're one of my students, great. Uh, I'm glad you're doing this, and I do this for you. If you're somebody else listening, I really don't care what you think, but uh, actually, it's pretty great because I'm really good at this. Enjoy. So, um, we left off talking about Galvani and his uh, frogs. So, what people figured out, as I said, was electricity. That something must be electric. Something electric must be happening in the nervous system to allow uh, communication. So, what happens here is we've got names of a few people on our list here. The first one is Caton, Richard Caton, or Caton, or Caton, though I don't think it's Caton because he's from England. Um, he's from Liverpool. Um, one of the things that people like that he was doing, he was looking at, he was measuring the electrical impulses in nervous systems. Very crudely, but that's what he was doing. Okay. Um, Helmholtz figured out the speed of nervous transmission. So if you get a really big neuron, like uh, from a squid, a giant squid, something like that. And these things are, I mean, they're, they're, they're not at microscope levels. These are, they're, they're small, but you can see them. Like they're, they could be, you know, this long. I keep my arms getting longer, wider and wider. Uh, and he measured the electrical impulse across that membrane. And he found it was about 20, somewhere between 20 and 40 meters per second. Helmholtz did a lot of important things in the history of psychology. He also figured out how color vision worked. Uh, he did a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff. Um, a lot of this, the stuff that Caton was doing, actually ended up getting kind of forgotten. See, it's not like it is today. It wasn't in the 1800s because we didn't, you know, journals weren't available everywhere, all this stuff. What ends up happening is, um, in 1929, a guy named uh, Berger, Discovers the, discovered the alpha wave, and that's just the awake and looks what a brainwave looks like. And he actually cited Caton, so he gave credit. So that's kind of good. Um, Hodgkin Huxley, what the, these two did, and that's that's another Huxley. You know, there's all these Huxleys that did all these cool things, including Right Brave New World. Uh, a lot of Huxleys. It's not the same guy. <laughs> uh, worked with Darwin, etc. So there's this whole family of rather accomplished British people. Uh, anyway, what Hodgkin Huxley did was they used microelectrodes to measure um, the resting potential of a neuron in a giant squid. So they actually ended up developing a series of differential equations that described it. Now, and which I'm not going to go into because this is not a class in differential equations. Point is, they figured out that the when the neuron was at rest, it wasn't doing nothing. When you think
think of at rest, what do we think of? We think of, well, you think of, many of us took physics in school, you think of an object that at rest isn't moving. Nothing's happening. And a neuron looks like nothing's happening until you measure across a membrane and see that it's actually actively, this may sound contradictory, but I'll explain in a second, it's actively at rest. It's trying to stay at rest. It's like the neurons thinking, but it's like the neurons has a conscious thing like, I gotta be at rest, I gotta be at rest. But it's at rest and it takes energy to remain at rest, okay? The analogy I used the other day was the idea of a drawn bow. It's not ready to fire, or sorry, it's ready to fire. It's not firing, but there's a lot of energy being used to keep it drawn. And it turned out, that, well, they figured out that the potential across the membrane, one sec, uh, across the membrane was negative 70 millivolts. Yep. Um, do you know if it takes more energy for it to stay at rest or to fire? That depends on how long it takes rest. Yeah. Then it takes more energy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it would depend on how long something you want to rest. Yeah. I thought, at first, I thought, that's a pretty bad idea. Why don't I do that? Yeah, John. What's up? So, uh, so previously, from what Kendra said, yes, we got electricity that take a, a lot of milligrams to a Milli power. What do you mean milligrams? Oh, sorry. No. Sorry. What are you talking measuring? Does it take a lot of what? Yeah. Does it take a lot of uh, electrodes to uh, fire up? Okay. Ball? Does it take a lot of electricity? Is I think what you're asking. Yeah. You'll see in a sec, uh, we'll get there. I guess the best way to say is that we're, we're gonna get there. I can't answer it now without telling you what I'm gonna talk about next, so we'll wait till we get there. Yeah, yeah I got you. Could, uh, will you explain the Kendra be part of uh, losing the ability <coughs> to recall information as time goes on? No. No, no uh, it's, no, <laughs> it just doesn't work like that. We don't actually quite know how forget works. Uh, but I can tell you this, it's probably a combination of things being misfiled. A combination of misfiled. It's mis. Uh, it's the inability to. So then, then things become difficult to find, even though they exist. Or there are things that may just decay, such that it's a physical thing that neurons die. So it could be all those kind of things. Or and also sometimes you forget things, but you actually never encoded them in the first place. Right. So, and we've all had this experience where you think, I don't know, you're looking for keys, let's go with your keys in the morning, and you can't find them, and then you find them and they're on top of the fridge and you think, I have literally no idea how they got there. I, I can't have put them there. So you ask everybody else in your family, how did my keys get on top of the fridge? And they all go, I don't touch your keys. So you must have put them there, but you literally never filed it away in the first place. So yeah, that's a neat question, but it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't quite work like that. But we'll get to what John said before in a, in a sec. So, literally now, the resting potential of a neuron is negative 70 millivolts. It's negative because the charge is negative. That doesn't mean it's less. Remember that the, 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 the sign here just means the charge is negative or positive. It doesn't mean, so negative 70 is more of a charge than positive 50, okay? This selectively allows certain ions in. Who knows what an ion, who doesn't know what an ion is? Let's change to that. If you don't know what an ion is, I can explain it very quickly. Okay, because nobody thinks they don't know what it is, but I'm sure some of you don't. It's uh, sometimes an, uh, 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 a, an atom will take on an extra electron. If it takes on an extra electron, it's a negative ion. If it 
gives up an electron, it becomes a positive ion. That's all that is, okay? Um, so what happens is certain ions are allowed in to the neuron, and others are pushed out, well, pumped out, actually. Electro electrical, uh, sorry, chemical pumps. With stimulation, with stimulation, you get um, sodium being allowed in. So what happens is, and if this was, so if that's the, uh, this is what a helpful diagram. So if that's a cell membrane, we're going to have a little thing here called an ion channel, and it's normally closed. But it takes energy to keep it closed. Then what happens is a neurotransmitter molecule binds with a receptor site. So we'll build a little receptor site here. And there's a neurotransmitter molecule. And what that does is it opens up that. And sodium comes in. Actually, probably should be 2 plus. Yep. Is it always the same selected ions? Yes. And it's the same in you, and me, him, and in a nematode that has 302 neurons. Which is really cool that it's like this all over the place. That's what makes it, that's what I think is super cool. Good question. So with stimulation, so that's when this thing here, well, let's color in the, so that's a neurotransmitter molecule. That thing, it's like a, it's like a, a key, the receptor site, which is the part that it binds to, is like a lock, and it opens up a door. And that door is called an ion channel. And sodium rushes in. It's not exact. These are analogies, okay? It's not actually a lock. It's not actually a door. It's not actually a key. But it works like that. And it doesn't just open up like, this isn't, this here, this, the, the ion channel right here, this isn't just a door. Like, it only allows certain things in. It just doesn't put a big gap in the, in the um, Okay. So what happens when enough sodium gets in? So what, 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 yeah, gee, I'm having trouble talking today. When the neuron is at rest, it's got a negative charge across the membrane. Negative seven. Most of your neurons right now are doing that. There's enough current in your brain to run a small household appliance. Uh, you could do anything else, so I wouldn't do that, but you could. So what I'm saying is that this, even while you're resting, all these neurons, most of the neurons in here are, are not firing. So they're not firing, not firing, not firing. But eventually, if, I, if enough sodium gets in, and remember, sodium is positive, the negative changes to a positive. And the negative at one part of a... of the membrane, it then propagates to the next part of the membrane. So if you think of this, so let's erase, no, we don't have to erase that. So if we've got, so that's a dendrite. Not a good diagram of a dendrite, but we're pretend. So a bunch of sodium starts going in up here. Lots and lots and lots of sodium. So it's negative 70 here, it's negative 70 here. But what happens is there's so much sodium coming in here 
Yet if we get a whole bunch of pluses, it, it, it changes the potential, the, the measure of the charge across this membrane. So if this now is, let's just pretend it goes to minus 50 because there's so much, you know, a bunch of positives come in and it gets less negative. Make sense? Yes? More positives, less negatives. Good. Now, at some point, the mechanism, which I'll talk about in a sec, along here that keeps this along here, that keeps this negative, kind of gives up. It can't keep up. It's like if water keeps flowing into your basement during a bad storm, and your sump pump can't keep up. Doesn't matter how good your sump pump is, if the water's coming in faster than it's pumping out, nothing you can do. So what happens is then now it's going to get maybe it's more like negative 50 here, and then now oh, it's negative 50 here, etc. So it starts to propagate along the dendrite. This happens extremely quickly, by the way, as you would imagine. Okay? So we're going electrical into electrical chemical, which I think is just cool. I know you think you don't think it's cool, that's fine, that's your problem, it's cool. Okay. In fact, the way it's kept out is, let's see, if, can I get this to animate? Yes, it does. In the cell membrane, there are lots of these things called sodium-potassium pumps. Outside the cell membrane, inside the cell membrane. So look what's happening. For every two K positives, that's K is potassium. Okay, so for every two, it pumps three out, three sodiums. And what's this? That's a, it's a transporter protein. What it does is it causes, it makes this happen. Brutal. <laughs> the important thing is here, there are a bazillion watts. Hundreds, at least hundreds, on every neuron of these keeping this out. So they're taking three of these out and putting two of these in. If there's three going out and two in, it's more positive on the outside than the inside. So it's a negative charge. Pretty cool. Which is more pretty cool. It's ridiculously cool. Mm. Good. So the sodium potassium pump is on the cell membranes of the neurons, all over them. So it's on like the main. Yeah, and the dendrites. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. They're all over the place. There's like a yeah, thousand of the axon hill. Oh, so it's literally oh. on the whole of the oh, yeah. okay. The whole time your neurons are like, no, 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 don't fire, don't fire, don't fire. And at some point, so much potassium is coming in, they go, okay, screw it, I give up. It's kind of like, I mean, we had, we had, the, you remember this guy, you were only two, but we had a basement flood when we were living in Cordoba, Newfoundland, because, you know, we live by the ocean. And it was really bad, and I called a plumber, and he came over and he said, I could pump it out, right? It's going to come back in more quickly than you pump it out. It's not worse. 
probably don't understand what that was, but it doesn't matter because that's what's like living in Newfoundland. People just mumble <laughs> with a ridiculous accent. Um, those of you taught by Dr. Keogh. So it's the same kind of thing. It just gives up. Yeah. So the neuron has to be neutral then to no. player? No. No. It actually, we'll get there. Yeah, I'm glad you, this is good. This, this tells me that I'm doing this properly because if you're just getting to, then what happens next? That means that I've actually put it in the right order, which is good because I've only taught this course 26 times. So you'd think I'd finally get around to getting it right. So this, this tells me that I've actually got it in the right order. If I can only remember where I put my freaking iPad on the So why is it like this? <laughs> One second. Why is it like this? Why wouldn't it be, as Ken just said, why don't you be off? Why don't you just leave it off? Why don't it like a light switch? Or a, or a screen switch. There's no current moving through this. Now there is. Now there isn't. That would be easier. I'll get back to you in a second. Yep. Uh, does it lead? Does it make encoding things easier? In other words, turning it into turning the real world into neural messages. I've never understood that argument, so I'm going to go with I. Well, I just don't get that argument. So I guess that's probably not that. Does a lot of quicker reactions? Yeah, maybe. It's the drawn bow idea. Because um, think about this. If you have a bow, and you've got an arrow in your bow, but you haven't drawn it, and you just do this, try to push it, it's not going to go very far. Yeah. So, so um, from what I'm understanding, yes. does, the, uh, does the encoding is like, is the encoding like a computer decryption? Like it's a very, decryption? yeah, that's <laughs> well observed, yes. The idea is it's just like, encryption is not quite the right word, but it's, it's like the way when you type something into your computer, it gets turned into ones and zeros. Yeah. Right? That's in, in, yeah, inside, right? Yeah, that's sort of like in cyberspace. Well, yeah, that kind of idea, but anywhere, anywhere there's a computer, it's off or on, right? Mm -hmm. Chips are off or on, circuits are off or on. Neurons are off or on too, except when they're off, they're still ready to go. Whereas in your computer, just, there's, no, there's no current flight. Yeah. But it, so it's similar, but the computer analogy kind of falls apart. It's good as an analogy. Don't think your brain's like a computer, though. Oh, sorry. Right. Okay. So an action potential. So we're at resting potential when the neuron is firing. We're at action potential when stimulation causes all that sodium to rush in and the pump stops. They give up, just like my my my, uh, flood, my flooded basement. Okay, the pumps stop. Now later, what happens when the neuron has to get ready to fire again is it's reversed, and we get back to negative seven. Yes. Sir. So we don't actually know for sure if it is. It makes it easier to encode or react. No, with no, we have no idea why it evolved that way. Probably the fast reactions is to me the best guess. But, oh, Jesus, you know, we're going to put more things in the way of the blind guy, if at all possible. The blind guy who can't stand, stand still. I shouldn't take everything personally, but I do. Um, so it's reversed later. I don't know why that just does that. Yeah. 
Oh, it means just it, 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 uh, so remember it was keeping out sodium, but that what, it, what happens is the pump stops and now it just pumps out. But yeah, it's like, well, I'm, what I'm saying is the action potential is reversed basically. So the pumps start working again. Oh, okay. Yeah. It just, it stopped when it fired and now that it's. Now it's going to start back up again. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, it reverses the wrong word though. I should change that. Yeah, you should. Have All right. So one of the things that happens is that we get, in the next neuron, we get what are, ha what are called excitatory or inhibitory postsynaptic potentials. Okay. So what we have here is, we'll draw another picture. Maybe if you will, the picture. Okay. You said coordinates. So again, this is a dendrite. Not a very nice diagram, one, but we'll pretend. If we have some, there's some ion channels, there's some sodium ion channels, okay? If sodium starts to come in, oops, and it, come, it comes in because of stimulation, right? The next neuron, or the previous neuron, the one up here, is allowing neurotransmitter into the synapse, it then binds with a receptor site, which then opens an ion channel. So in other words, again, the key opens the, opens the lock, which then the door opens, and the sodium comes in. So what we have right here now, this is excitatory. Whenever it gets less negative or more positive, it's excitatory. So what we have right now is what's called an excitatory postsynaptic potential. Excitatory meaning more of postsynaptic after the synapse potential as you're measuring a, uh, a current. Now, on the other hand, here's another part of the neuron. So here we're going to have these being. Sodium ion channels, these are going to be chlorine ion channels. Chlorine's a negative one. So suddenly now, and this is just around here, this area, it goes from being negative 70 to a little more negative, maybe negative 80, maybe negative 100. That makes it less likely to fire because it's getting more negative. Now we have an inhibitory postsynaptic potential. Okay. So um, do uh, excitatory and inhibitory merge together? <laughs> yes, they do. That's a really super, that's actually a really, really, really good um, uh, observation. Yes, what's happening then is that these two things, as John just said, merge together. Yes, ma'am. No? Um, it's okay. Don't the right. sodium and chlorine that is there, is that coming from different neurons or is that just it's floating, floating around? around. Okay. There's a reason you need things like sodium and chlorine. Like you actually need salt. I can't have salt, it'll kill me. Um, you need salt. You, we don't need salt in the industrial quantities that we ingested, but you do need salt. And we need sodium and potassium for our and, and, and chlorine and a bunch of these other 
elements just to live. So less negative, more positive, excited for it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So what happens is, and John said it, uh, are, they sort of, are they sort of merged or whatever? They are. So what we get is what's called temporal summation and spatial summation. The neuron has to make a decision. Am I firing or am I not firing? And it makes this decision, in essence, by counting votes. It's not exactly what it does. Again, this is an analogy. So, okay, let's see if I can just get rid of all these. Actually, you know what, that's not bad. Let's leave those right there. So, we've got here our neuron-ish. So we're gonna use the chlorine, right? So we're gonna put, I'm gonna make those red as their stop. These are gonna be green, these are go. Let's put, a, let's put another one here. Let's make that one positive. So I just put the, the colors there to remind you that, so red means stop, green means go. So while the charge is changing, we need these excitatory inhibitory postsynaptic potentials, the neuron is constantly going, no, 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 I'm not firing, pumping out, pumping out sodium. Get out of here, get out of here. Trying to get back to negative 70. Right? So the decision about should I fire or not, in essence, you can see, of course, over here on the, on the right-hand side where all those sodiums are, if all those fire at the same time, it's quite possible we get really a lot, we get a lot less negative. Maybe we get to negative 50 or something. What that eventually is going to lead to is Further down the line, the charge will change now down here, and down here, etc. On the other hand, and that's, that's these are all the same place, right? These here are all in the same place. That's spatial summation. Summation means adding, so they're adding together. But if they didn't all happen roughly at the same time, the sodium potassium pumps would have time to pump out the, the extra sodium. So they have to happen roughly at the same time, too. That's temporal summation. I like to think of this, and I don't know how many of you watched, have watched space launches, but they're pretty cool, and one of the things you always see in mission control is that they, make, they take like a vote, in essence, right? And everybody who's got a different thing they're monitoring says go or no go, and this is the same sort of thing that's happening here. It's go, 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 go. There's no votes, it goes. The difference is it used to be sending people to the moon. This is just a neuron firing. So you need neurons to figure out how to send people to the moon, so it all balances out in the end. So that's spatial and temporal summation. So yes, exactly. They're sort of put together. It's a really good observation. All right. Okay, good. So the axon hillock is actually where this decision is made. The decision to fire or not is made at the axon hillock. The axon hillock is right here, right, at the, where the axon starts. And you can actually watch the excitatory postsynaptic potential. We sit at negative 70. 
back here where the uh, dendrites are. Goes up, it tries to go back down. Goes back up, goes back down. But then it hits about minus 50 at the axon here, like, goes up to like plus 30. You have one uh, sodium potassium pump for every square nanometer of cell membrane on a neuron on the cell body. At the axon hillock, you have a hundred. You have a hundred sodium potassium pumps per, per square nanometer. Nanometer is pretty small. So what you have at the axon here, like are all these voltage sensitive channels. What they're doing is detecting differences between outside and inside. They're those voltage sensitive channels are actually detecting the difference in charge inside the neuron versus outside the neuron. And you get about minus 50 and you get what's called depolarization. The charge collapses, and that's what's happening. Here we get depolarization, bang, and it fires. And when it fires, it's gonna let out neurotransmitter. And these graded potentials, as I'm saying here, when I say they're not all equal, what I mean by that is, again, spatial and temporal summation. So just because you get a connection and allow sodium in, or potentially, let's say, chlorine, at one part of a neuron doesn't mean it's necessarily going to fire or not fire. And the, how does the chlorine thing happen? You might think, oh, well, neurons, uh, so, so excitatory neurotransmitters, things like dopamine, let's use that as an example, or glutamate, they let in, they have, uh, they let in sodium. Um, GABA, which is a neurotransmitter, which you see here. GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter, and its ion channels are always chlorine. We'll talk more about the neurotransmitters and all that stuff later on, of course, but the point is that that's what that does. Yep? Uh, did you say the 100 per square nanometer was for the axon hillock, or just Yes, the axon? at the axon hillock. Okay. Down the axon, when you get into here, the nodes of Havier, remember I talked about those are between these myelin sheets? It's a thousand per square nanometer. See, so what happens is, wait a sec, John. What happens is, this myelin sheath is like, it's insulation. Now, if you've got insulation around it, you don't have to worry about keeping out sodium or pumping out potassium. You have to worry about that because it's impermeable. It's impervious. It's impermeable. You just have these little nodes have all kinds of sodium potassium pumps that are ready to rock but will also, so they're always fighting back, don't fire, don't fire, don't fire. But when they give up, now instead of having to, the uh, charge having to propagate all along here, it just has to go here, and then jumps to here, jumps to here, jumps to here. So it doesn't have to work so hard. This is how my, the myelin sheath works. Yep. So, um, no, not you, John. Oh. But, um, is a sodium potassium pump, is there a chlorine pump there no. too, or does a sodium potassium pump also do uh, Yeah, there's, yeah. And is it possible then for the neuron to be too negatively charged or not? Wow. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. 
No, it's a neat question. I don't know the answer. Yeah, John, you have a question. So, um, does 40-50 millimeters like the, is like the uh, high voltage, and, it, and therefore uh, to the threshold? It's a, yes, so when it gets to negative 50, it's high enough that it collapses. Yeah. That's the threshold, you're right. So what happens if it's, it's very small. If you felt negative 50 millimeters, you wouldn't feel it. Yeah, enough you wouldn't, to shock Yeah, you wouldn't get a shock or anything. And it's not like there's electrical jumping along. People think that, and a lot of times when you see sort of schematic, bad schematics of brains, you'll see like little lightning bolts. If you get lightning bolts in your brain, you got all kinds of problems. So don't think that that's, yeah, that's not a problem. There's not, it's not happening. Okay. All right. So you can actually measure individual, uh, this isn't pretty new in the last, I don't know, 20 years? Um, you can actually measure using a device called a patch clamp uh, the actual, the, the, the traffic of ions through a single ion channel. You take a micro pipette, very, very, very thin piece of glass and you attach it to an ion channel, and then you take the, an electrode and the elect extracellular fluid, and you can measure the flow of ions. To give you an idea of how small an ion channel, uh, this pipette is, two micrometers. Is this big? That's two millionths of a meter. It's not thick. So you don't just do this by eye. You know, you do it with a microscope. And it's extremely, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know what the word is. It's, it's not easy to do. <laughs> okay, here you go. That's the micro pipette for the patch clan. That's a human hair. <laughs> They're really thin. Boy, my voice really echoed weirdly there. Thin! Yeah, put it there again. That's an ion channel right there. Look at that. That's, that's an ion. This is the micro pipette. See how small, remember how small that is? Look how small that is. Okay, if you don't think that's really awesome, you could leave now. Because that's really freaking cool. That's actually good. Any questions on this stuff from today before we stop and ask questions for the upcoming test? Go ahead. Is the uh, sodium ion channel that's different from the pump impactor? Yes, the ion channel. This is an ion channel. I just love that I can point to one. It looks just like that. Um, sodium potassium pumps, I don't know what they look like in my electron microscopes. So I, I can't point one out, but I'm sure a lot of this other stuff is them. <laughs> Yeah, John. So, is that reminiscent to, to a fish aquarium? Or How so? Because, you know, I can... Oh, like a pump. Okay, yeah. yes. It's, think of the pumps like that. The pump only can go... It, can, it only has such a certain capacity. So, it's like the pump in a fish tank, or like a, I like the, I like the sump pump in your basement kind of idea that pumps the water in from underneath your, your foundation. But basically, they can only go so fast. 
And if they get overwhelmed by so much sodium getting in, they quit. So it's, it's yeah, if you, if you think of it that way, like a, an actual pump, they aren't real literal pumps, it's a chemical process, okay? But, I mean, they're actual things, but they aren't like little pumps. Okay, they don't actually look like pumps. So they don't have a, they don't look like that thing either that was in a schematic. Okay. We good? Okay. So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved. So you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and then it was called PodSafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to uh, 
put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music. Because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time. <laughs>